Hello, everybody. I hope that if you're seeing this or hearing this in time, you'll check out my live Here We Are remote podcast that you get to participate in. You get to comment along, ask questions, uh, everything else. Another Crowdcast event. I did, uh, I did four of them in April and May. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of those, a bicycle day, or I screened my documentary, or my 40th birthday show, or another Head Talks show that we did. They were so much fun. Hit the pause button on it for the summer because I didn't think summertime was the right time to put the effort into launching something more regular. And I would I would love to take a, a whack at getting it um, to be a somewhat regular thing that I do, a, a virtual here we are event uh, or something like it. So this one is, uh, I'm calling the media dilemma. It's going to be uh, kind of like the, the social dilemma on Netflix, but we're gonna be breaking down the science of the pros and cons of all of our modern media, online dating, Netflix, social media, emailing what are the pros of the cons should your kids have a tablet at what age how much is too much what different um uh you know actively participating in something like a video game versus passively uh watching or listening to something or um or something educational like this show versus something just to uh, uh, kind of a, a escape. What are the pros and cons of all those things? They all, they all have uh, pros and cons. We're hoping to have a balanced uh, conversation. I have Heather Kikorian, who was on episode 200 of the Here We Are podcast. If you, uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, or perhaps you remember her talking about, we've talked a lot about tablets and and kids kids use of media and the internet uh generally uh she she's kind of an anti-hysteria um uh, uh, uh tends to see more of the uh more of the upside of these things and she's um uh joining us is uh catalina tama a a, a a colleague of hers and my comedian friend Ken Reed, who is uh, the host of the podcast TV Guidance Counselor. So we're going to have a really fun, cool discussion all about that. Go to my website to learn more. And uh, if if you guys, oh, this one's free. It's part of the Wisconsin Science Fest. There's this, there's this science and uh, uh, kind of technology company that that promotes science communication called Promega that is uh, taking part and gave me a budget. So you guys, this is the first free event that I'm doing. So I hope you'll take a chance and check it out. Oh, I guess my 40th birthday was free. Um, but anyway, I, I hope I hope that you'll take a chance and check it out because I would love to, if I can figure out a way to cover my expenses and and even uh, who knows dare i say turn a profit on something uh, i would i would absolutely love to do these regularly and not not just because it's um covid or whatever and and i i'm not live touring right now but because i i think this is a platform 
that I would love to use, if not this, something like it, uh, regularly, even after all, even once I'm live touring again. So uh, uh, keep that in mind. If you don't have any plans, it's at 8.30 Central Time, um, but you can check it out from anywhere. And go to shanemoss.com or the herewearepodcast.com. I hope you really enjoy this wonderful episode. This was a fun one. Um, you'll see. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. This is a uh, exciting one because I have a favorite return guest and also joined with a new guest. I have return guest Barrett Klein, who uh, uh, listeners know as the single most enthusiastic human being on on planet Earth. Uh, we're going to be talking about insects again today. The most recent episode about murder hornets was a real popular one. I actually just, just yesterday... Um, I, I got, uh, so, so I have yet to figure out how, how to get traction on, on YouTube with the podcast. Most of my downloads are still from audio versions of, as I didn't do YouTube until six months ago, but I, I just yesterday got a, a YouTube comment on your episode from two months ago or whatever people, uh, someone praising just how absolutely wonderful it, uh, it was. So I'm excited to have you back, Barrett Klein. It's hard not to be enthusiastic about That's murder hornets. <laughs> yeah, right. As like, it's not even, it's not even fair. And today, mosquitoes. So <laughs> and I have, uh, I, I don't know, uh, I, I this is my first time meeting uh, Lyric uh, Bartholomew. I don't know if you're going to be the straight person in the conversation or if you're going to attempt to match Barrett's enthusiasm. Who knows how it's going to go? Yep. We're just meeting for our first time. The old friends, new friends, this is so exciting. Um, uh, uh, Barrett's just, uh, he just, he's just, uh, he's a biology professor that um, is an uh, entomologist and just is, uh, does a, is also uh, a, artist what do you what do you call the kind of art oh, that yeah. is An like an artist entomo artist and uh and lyric uh tell tell the listeners about yourself oh well um <laughs> i'm a vector biologist i was thinking about all the ways that i identify and um if leading with vector biologist is the most interesting thing i'm not sure i study blood suckers how about that <laughs> nice yeah, so, so so, so like disease vectors specifically right. when, when you say biological, uh, so, so a vector biologist, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be like a, a, a pollination <laughs> kind of vector. We're talking like no. specifically in terms of kind of disease. And, and does that mean, does that mean, um, uh, it impacts on humans or impacts on all, um, mammals? Uh, with yeah, right, mammals. So yeah. animals and human animals. 
non-human animals and human animals. I'm actually in a veterinary school. So I'm a professor in the vet school at the UW-Madison. That's uh, And the connection is that not that veterinarians take care of mosquitoes when they're sick, although I probably could do that, <laughs> um, but, that <laughs> but that mosquitoes transmit pathogens that impact things like horses, right? I see. And and I imagine like ticks and stuff. What's what's the ticks tick situation too. with 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 your uh with your dogs? You go hiking for a dog. Uh, yeah. we're, we're hiking with a dog. We're in Wisconsin. Yeah. There's ticks all over the place. Yeah. I I had a tick freak out early summer. I emailed Barrett about my my go-to insect guy. <laughs> what's the scoop if people have dogs? They're living in the Midwest. There's these darn deer ticks everywhere. Yeah. What what do you what what do you got to do? What's what's the what's the best kind of best practices? Best practices to give your dogs either those oral or topical treatments mm-hmm. that kill ticks if the ticks feeding on them. All right. Because it's so hard with a dog to find a tick. You know, we tell people to do tick checks, but like, do a tick check on an Akita. <laughs> it's Can just I- impractical. Is there is there anything for humans that no, there should be, I right? I wish I could put that stuff on my neck. Yeah. <laughs> I, and how does it I've never quite got how that works. Like you can just uh it, it's you you put a little bit in your skin and then it just moves through your body. How does it just that, absorbs, isn't it that just wild? Abs- it it is. I mean, am I am I dumb for not getting how that works? Like, no, I, I don't I get don't how it works. I'm just grateful. <laughs> and actually, why why yeah. doesn't that translate to humans? If it's safe one? enough for your dog, why wouldn't it, it be safe enough? I mean, one of the beautiful things about uh, Lyric being in a vet school is that we think about vector biology in a comparative light. So, comparative biology is really important, as we've seen in recent disease spreads where we wonder where did Ebola come from? Where did this come from? And we can look to uh, close relatives of humans or more distant relatives as possible vectors of. Um, Oh man, I have three questions that popped into my head all at once and I don't know where to start. Let me close one loop. Um, why in the world now i'm kind of stuck on this why are we spraying ourselves with off and all of these other things uh, and instead of just squirting a little maybe it's because dogs don't bathe as often as humans do is that part of or could be that that it's more toxic to a person than it would be to a dog I don't huh. know the chemistry well enough. Okay. But, you well, know, maybe I, I because won't... of your podcast, somebody will take on yeah, <laughs> making I... this a human label. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have a nasty habit of being like, hey, you're a scientist. Know every single thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay. Something I've been thinking about with COVID uh, lately and, and just the ways in which um, humans are impacted in disease is is that you hear a lot of people talking about COVID as just like, oh, diseases happen. This is a natural thing. You know, this is just something we have to live with or whatever. But to me, it sounds a little bit like the um, kind of climate denial of like oh these are these are natural fluctuations because because to me the 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 current um state of 
of of the human condition is is vastly different than than the evolved uh, uh, than the environment that we evolved in whereas if you were to say take a if if there was a disease going around lions or something it might take out a pact or they might have but I don't know how lions distance or whatever their defense mechanisms for diseases are but uh, uh but it wouldn't get all of the lions, unless you unless you put them in, say the the Tiger King or whatever, and you stick them all in, and they're around their their feces or waste, and more diseases might pass. But then, to 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 make matters worse, not only are you grouping all of these all of these lions together in this uh, un, unnaturally packed together environment, but then you're also feeding them meat from other things that are packed together in this in this uh like reservoir for disease of 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 different livestock uh, being around way more of their feces and everything else than they would normally and and it it just seems like this it 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 seems like diseases might be more impactful on our in our modern life than they would normally. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that and if insects in any way play a kind of role in our modern environment of, of, of just more humans for insects to be um, vectors for. Or more humans for insects to be vectors for. Can I start with an anecdote? Uh, yeah. So, I used to live in. What uh, if I said no? Oh, <laughs> all right, I'm out. We, we forgot to. We forgot to do the ground rules. No, <laughs> no, and listen. I thought you were a scientist. What's this anecdotal right. evidence? We build from anecdotes. <laughs> so I, I lived in a condemned trailer in Mark Twain National Forest of Missouri in the Ozarks for a couple of years decades ago. And I moved from this uh, trailer in the woods to the Bronx, New York, packed up the car, drove to the Bronx. So in this condemned trailer in the woods versus being packed together like sardines mm -hmm. in a highly urban environment, I often ask my students, all right, where, were, where was I more likely to get the flu or the common cold? And it leads to discussion about the trade-offs of being social. Mm. So there are big advantages of being social. Whether you're a human or non-human animal, there can be big advantages, but there, it comes with big disadvantages as well. And one of those is disease spread. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there's, isn't there also... Uh, doesn't social life have implications on on immune systems? Aren't there? I I don't know that you would know about this, but I I think there's been some studies on even people like falling in love, uh, and, and their their different um uh their immune responses adjusting because if 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 in our past environment, humans were kind of like away from their tribe more. There's there's different regulatory mechanisms that would need to take place because they'd be more or less vulnerable to different aspects of things than if they were within the tribe. And there and so I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if on an individual level, um, uh, there's immune system changes within a urban versus city environment. 
But none of that has <gasps> much to say with in, uh, much to do with insects. No, that's and a really I'm, interesting idea because you can look at all kinds of social or truly social organisms. Like some think that leafcutter ants that can live in colonies numbering millions and have to take out detritus, say dead bodies or microbially infected uh, fungal bits because they mm. grow fungus gardens. That's what they feed on. They're farmers and have been for 60 million years. So they have these dump chambers. For one species, it's below ground. For another species, it's above ground. When it's above ground, it's really exciting because you can see them travel along and dump in their dumps, their above ground dumps, all the garbage. Well, that's going to be pathogen ridden. And some organisms love that, thrive on it. Myrmecophiles, ant lovers, will live in or feed on that dump chamber. But for the ants themselves, the few individuals that go out are thought to kind of stay out on the periphery and not enter the deep uh, realms, the galleries where the queen might reside, for example. Amazing. So, so Lyric, this is, this is why... <laughs> That's right. This is why, take notes from Barrett as a guest, what he does is he takes my uh, my wild straying off topics. And makes a career out of it. And, and <laughs> some, somehow, somehow spins something interesting to say, despite <laughs> my efforts to sabotage the conversation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make it so you don't sound learned. <laughs> um, there are an so, infinite number of great ideas generated by you and others that scientists should listen to. Um, so before we before we get into, we're going to be talking a lot about. Uh, altering the DNA of mosquitoes. This is why we first put this together. This is a, 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 um, one of the reasons why uh, I'm excited to talk with you uh, today, Lyric, as well. But, you know, it's a quickly changing world that we're living in in 2020, and we need to adapt and make adjustments on the fly and uh -huh. there was and there's this unavoidable topic that if i if i recorded this on this date october 9th two days after the vice hot presidential news, debate <laughs> and i didn't ask you guys a little something about flies <laughs> people would uh, be, uh, uh, would be very upset with me so here we are it may not fly, flies may not be in in why they learn uh, land on certain human hair and not others may not necessarily be your area of study but mm. let's, well, let's let's definitely talk my about focus it. definitely <laughs> my focus at least for the last two days yeah my masters <laughs> dealt with flies landing on uh, wigs and natural hair products <laughs> yeah you gotta have <laughs> you gotta have the the con i mean there's it's hard to get a good control group of like <laughs> because <laughs> everyone right. has so many different <laughs> kinds of hair i mean you can have people with no product sure but then there's but people with different balding patterns yes yes but then it's your control <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> and then as an additional control the shaved head Yep. I am. This is a somewhat serious question. Are there gender differences in um, in 
in, in terms of human gender differences in uh, in in what certain insects might be uh, attracted to, like like in say um, mosquitoes or anything. Are there do men or females tend to um, get bit or landed on more often? Does is that a thing that anyone knows? Well, so there there used to be reports on things like pregnant women being more attractive to mosquitoes with the idea that maybe because they're, you know, hotter <laughs> because they're bearing a child, um, that, Interesting. that perhaps just body heat or maybe being sweaty and nervous because you're about to have a baby um, makes you more attractive to a mosquito. But I don't think it really has played out as such. I think it's super individual. It it's seems like, you know, one person me pregnant or not i'm not very attractive to mosquitoes and so you could say i'm repellent <laughs> um <laughs> but it's it's probably related to things like the bacteria on my skin and the way you know lactic acid is released from my body or co2 that makes me just not that exciting to a mosquito. Whereas maybe you're delicious, Shane. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what is so exciting about a huge, like, just a mound of gray gelled hair for a fly to... I mean, that doesn't... It certainly doesn't look very nutrient uh, <laughs> rich. <laughs> is there what, what what is it that would drive a, a fly to want to land on? And that and then do you think stay. it was the gel Just that stay. maybe got it got stuck on? Like it's like there's some sort of a fly trap uh, situation that once it landed, it had a bit of an issue freeing itself. Well. <laughs> can I can I start by saying when there's an utter lack of substance during a debate at the highest uh, level of government, <laughs> it's real. I can I find it heartwarming. It's fortunate that we can turn to entomology as an educational diversion. You know, so the world twi tweets and twitters and twits about a fly landing yeah. on a debater's head. In, in, no. in, and. In, in in the most high stakes year, yes. Of, Let's of pay our attention to the fly. And <laughs> now, of course, as an entomologist, I am going to be intrigued, and I want to identify that fly, right? Yeah. And so you can think about. Oh yeah, I was process. taking pictures. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so process of elimination. You think, all right. Family Tachinidae, over 5,500 species, all parasitoids, parasites that kill their hosts. No, I think it's the Californian. No, no. flies, bottle flies, attracted to oh, garbage. Hold up. Hold up. Garbage there... and carcasses, dead stuff. That seems like a given, right? Sarcophagidae, flesh flies, also attracted to garbage and dead stuff. Is or muscadine. <laughs> are, are you guys like on a a, a forum, or are there like are are, are there texts? No, this there, is truly how our brains flying, work. Right. Flying around be, and, between you guys when you see something like this, and, when there's and, like, and then a debate would rage. So, for example, Lyric <laughs> thinks it's family Californy, the blowfly, or, or perhaps muscadine, right? That's, and that's my guess, the housefly. Yeah. I think it's a housefly, you know, musca domestica. So, it's, but I did want opportunity for Barrett to say something about carrion. 
Yes. And putrescence. Yes. <laughs> Smelling of the putrescence. The house of lie is called the domestica? Yeah. So Tosca domestica, yes. That's right. wonderful. That's yes. the first well-named Latin, like, scientific-sounding oh, no, thing. There's some brilliant ones out I've... there. There's some beauties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got you got I'm 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 saying you could you could say it to the average show and they'd be like that makes sense. Right. They're easy ones like gorilla gorilla and iguana iguana. You know, you can run with those. Oh, those My are favorite is Loa Loa. <laughs> Wait, those are actually things not types of insects. We're talking yeah, about yeah. gorillas. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh, okay. But if, you, All right. if you want insects, a colleague of mine is writing a book where He's going to look at the etymology of entomology, study of the roots of words associated with the study of insects, with some zinger names through history. If if you guys, is there a way to get down to the bottom of the debate of what exact species of fly that it was just from video alone, just from... Uh, just from the forensic account of slow, slowing down, what do you look? You just zooming in, or do you need to see it move? Or oh, what, Shane, what are you looking for? Close. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. Barrett. Oh, I was just going to say, Shane, we need to bring a, we need to wheel over a dissecting <laughs> microscope to your <laughs> house, put a fly under that scope, and it has to be something that is dead, pinned, so that you can look at it very carefully and count seedy hair-like structures on the fly's sides to really figure out what family it belongs to. Um, so we, we may this never we know. Do. Well, we, you know what? I have to say, though, one of the cool things we're doing in my lab right now is uh, uh, in, I run a center on vector-borne disease with a colleague here in entomology. And we have a student working with us who's, who's using artificial intelligence and neural networks um, to use sort of whatever the computer decides is a hallmark structure to identify ticks. Oh. So that you could have a digital image of a tick and get a species identification entirely virtually or digitally. Wow. Yes. So you could you could find a tick on you, take a picture, and an app could tell you. Yep. That yep. That's amazing. We need That's the same thing, changer. right, for Mike Pence's fly. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I should add that science is all about probabilities, and arguably you can never prove anything in science. So you try to disprove or falsify alternative right. hypotheses so you can zero in. And this idea of um, building up the probabilities toward identifying is, uh, is brilliant. I mean, if say someone got it, say like, like if I would have been in that crowd, I would have been like, I gotta get that. That's that's, that's, the, that's the home run baseball of like Cubs winning the World Series after decades. Like that is a, that is a very valuable uh, fly specimen. I mean, uh, oh, can you imagine I, if we had it on a pin, Barrett? Wouldn't it be so <laughs> great? And so, like with insects, you, when you when you collect a specimen, you stick them on a pointy pin, right? A thin pin. Everybody's seen that. And then they you may put or may not be dead. <laughs> well, you, they you usually die in the process. Sort of. yeah. <laughs> you freeze you, them. You, you, sometimes so, they're still fine. 
Oh yeah, yeah. look, Barrett's got a who uh, pressed right. it or something there. But yeah. so so you you put them on a pin and then you put a label on there. You know, you like write in little tiny letters That's where fine. you where you collected it. VP to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that would be a politically charged insect for sure. Yes. <laughs> and, and it wouldn't be the first. It wouldn't be the first uh, to name some uh, politically charged insects of the past. There is a beetle whose species epithet is Hitleri. And apparently, this beetle has been collected to near extinction. And there was even an art exhibit. I was invited. I couldn't do it at the time, but there was an art exhibit reaching out to scientific illustrators and Entomo artists to illustrate without looking at what this Hitler named beetle looked like to try to imagine that. And it became this really amazing exhibit of somewhat abstract to highly realistic anatomically correct beetles named after this despicable character. And then... More recently, a colleague of mine named three slime mold beetles after Cheney, Bush, and Rumsfeld. Well, I was going to ask this before you even brought this up. If we actually knew what this fly was, is it you get rid of whatever the Latin (gasps) name was? It's the Oh, Shane, I've got to stop you there. No, no, we we keep uh -uh. it, we just don't use it. It's all about precedence, all about precedence. (laughs) So, there's gonna be some. Yeah. More but, debates. Well, com- <laughs> commonly, it would be the Pence fly, though. The the what is yeah, it right, again? The, name. The, sure. the something the something domestica. Mm-hmm. You think that it Busca. was? Mm-hmm. It would it would be Busca the Pence, domestica. the Pence fly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, At least while it's fashionable <laughs> until yes. the next debate. Yes, I and like I it. can tell you that uh, while it's a little bit pricey, I did find that there's a Pence wig with attached fly as a Halloween costume. Oh, I'm going to be that. I'm going to do that. A little bit. For those really reaching for the moment to shine. What do you mean it's a little bit pricey? I think it was something like $59 for the wig with a a fake fly attached. That's, uh, well, you say that's that's expensive if you have months to crank this thing out. This is October 9th. You gotta, you know, the retooling that you have to do in that factory to all of the sudden mm. crank out that, that's uh, shut it all down. Whatever political costumes we already were gonna do this year, uh, we get about- rid of them. The, the Bernie costumes mm. are, uh, we gotta shut down that line. That's we're going true. all in on the, uh, on the Pence hair fly. That's a that's lot right. of, I, I think that you're, uh, under uh, uh, I guess under, I'm thinking underestimating from the, from the, the logistical concerns. costume maker perspective. I can go sure. to my basement, grab one of my many wigs, throw it on my head, and then grab a real fly and glue yes. it on. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a that's a solid point. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. If you're thinking from a business model perspective, Shane, you're right. 
<laughs> I I mean I mean Barrett. Not everyone is is uh is making their own like fly heads and stuff that is in, mm. that's in your background right well, now. That, I, that'll start soon. That will start soon. <laughs> We're setting trends here, Shane. Um. So I know what the segue off, is. I know what the segue I'm, is. I'm kind of not done you, with this topic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't, I don't care. I don't consider myself like I'm not a, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be the captain of this ship. This is just a conversation. Mm. We can mm. steer it in any way that we desire. I'm a little stuck on the Hitler beetle right oh, yeah. now before I can, before yeah. my mind can move on. Yeah. That's just, that's a big, that's a big, uh, you know, uh, that's a big fun fact to just drop on somebody. How, what, why was it named that? And what? Uh, Did it have a particular uh, like, mustache? No, <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't the an anatomy at all. It was the time of discovery. Oh. And Hitler had his adherents. And one proponent for the Nazi regime hmm. named that beetle. See, I would name wow. a flea after him because yeah. really, the fleas really have this sort of mustache. That's right. Mm -hmm. Or, wait, how about an assassin fly? They're called mustached flies. Yes. Ooh. It, well, it's usually a white fringe of CD or hair-like structures. Yeah, uh, that would work. I, I'm curious about fly... Uh, before we move on to mosquitoes, I am curious about flies as, uh, as, as something that people have to deal with all the time, a fly flying on their food or whatever on, on them. To me, it doesn't seem like a, 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 a big deal. Okay, um, so I'm going to tell you that it yeah. kind of is a big deal. And this is what Musca I wanted to domestica know. itself, so that particular species of fly, Yeah, we've done work to capture those flies and tickle their little tarsier toes to yeah. see what's attached, yeah. what's on there. And there's all kinds of things. Yeah. There's, there's tapeworm eggs, Ooh. there's toxoplasma, oh, wow. right? The parasite that we, we don't want pregnant women to come in contact with. There's all kinds of bacteria. And the reason is because those flies, and you can decide whether this is political commentary or not. Those flies are attracted to feces and will go and walk around on animal poo. Yes. And, and, pets heads, and get and get things stuck on their on their feet, you know, the, the structure that's analogous to our feet, and then maybe come inside and walk around on your Cheerios. Lyric, I have a question for you. Oh my gosh, you. we have to just, we should just stop the video right now and look at Shane's face. That, <laughs> <It's gosh. Yeah. laughs> well, just, if, you're, if you're listening to this frame. podcast, you really must go to YouTube and I watch mean, it. <laughs> I just love probably my favorite thing about this podcast is when I learn like a new horrifying possibility about reality. It's Which one is of the my great thing about mosquitoes. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know why, but I just, I just love when people scare the crap out of me. It, you know what it is? It just feels real. 
to to me it's it's uh it, you know uh, we're all in wisconsin there's a there's a lot of like um cheerleading that goes on within the human condition and i've not always like bought into it um and and it's always like i'm like i don't i don't know about that and when i hear about like flies uh landing on your salad and giving you tapeworm Tapeworm. eggs i'm like yep that's that sounds right something about that just (laughs) feels <laughs> Don't think about that. Right well, that's something I can embrace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll make you more serious about your fly slaughter for sure. I, I, I listen. I listen to like uh, guided meditations and stuff. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if that's gonna work for me. <laughs> I I hear so tapeworm we- eggs on my salad. I'm like, yeah, probably. Yep. <laughs> so if you listen to mindfulness meditation and they just in uh, dulcet tones, melodically talked about uh, dung landing flies passing along pathogens. I, I think and, all of the horrors in, a, in just yeah. like a really wonderful voice. Like, Soothing I, voice. I, not like the obvious ones either, you know. I, I don't, you know, we, we well, all know we're probably going to blow up the world at some point and like climate change. I, I like those hidden, those hidden gems. The What's hidden on the atrocities. That's so, definitely well, going to kill you. That's what I want, like a real soothing uh, voice. I actually was planning on doing a um, um, a uh, gui- guided ruminations um, of, of of just walking people through all of the horrible things that distract me on a on a daily oh, basis. I love it. I love it. Compilation. Genius. <laughs> yeah, a compilation of hidden atrocities. And then you can come take my parasitology class in the spring. I'll give you the Zoom link. Yes. <laughs> I've, been be sitting in on a, I've been sitting in on a bunch of classes. I would love to I'm, I'm so currently fun. on one that's all about all of all of the uh uh, sitting in on one of Robert Sapolsky's class. All, oh, all, fantastic! All, all about every horrible thing that can go wrong in the aging brain, uh, and I just like I barely can understand what they're talking about half the time, and I just love. I'm just like basking in the darkness of like the horrifying reality of just like what 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 a. What, what an impossible task it is to try to make headway on Alzheimer's or something like that. It's like, it's not. I, I wish it weren't the case. I, w- I wish I, I wish science moved faster and 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 we lived on more uh, science based policy and created a better world for ourselves faster. But there's something so rich about that darkness that I just I I can't get enough of it. I don't know what Shane, it is. Shane, could you send me the link to Sapolsky's class? Sure. And lyric, can I take your parasitology yeah, class? Absolutely, I would wow, love, I'd love it. that. Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic. So I've got a follow-up question for you, Lyric, about the hidden atrocity of the tarsi of uh, flies. So I I once read, and this may be outdated, so maybe it's apocryphal, but I once read in a book on cockroaches that no disease has been causally linked to, say, the American cockroach, Paraplanita americana, spreading to humans. Now, it may have happened, but it hasn't been documented. Is that true? And is the same true for Musca domestica? So I think that there are some data and they're not, uh, it's not direct sort of causation, but I think there were some pretty good 
correlative data on heavily cockroach infested homes in um, subsidized housing. So mm. high density people living in close proximity to one another, getting back to Shane's question about, you know, humans living in close proximity and the things that can go wrong. So in those um, housing developments that had high cockroach density and a lot of people, there was a lot more, um, there was a lot higher incidence of hepatitis, I think was the, the outcome that they were looking at there. Mm. Okay. And so it's not to say that there was a study done that showed a particular roach, you know, like Rosie <laughs> took that from, from a toilet or whatever and, and, and brought it over to the next apartment. But, wow. but, um, but all the complementary say there could have been lice, rodents, fleas, um, and other bugs. vectors mm -hmm. potentially yeah. as well. Ooh. Yeah. Oh man, I have so many questions, and it's gonna get us into mosquitoes. Let's eventually. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're we're right in the ballpark. We're talking about disease vectors. I mean, this mm -hmm. is not a this is not a difficult transition. Uh, but before that, uh, uh, so uh, what what do we people's fear of spiders? If if if, if we if we knock out, um. I'll say Americans' fear of spiders in particular because it's my understanding. Uh, are there even really poisonous spiders in in the U.S. or that? Yeah, there are a few. There are a few, right? But like, at, at least if we isolate the areas where it's like you don't have a chance of of dying from a spider in this area, uh, mm -hmm. that's not a that's not a thing. There's always going to be a little chance. I mean, if you're uh, uh, if you're looking at between thirty-five to forty thousand described species of spiders on the planet, and a handful or a couple of handful of species are actually truly threatening to humans, case yeah. by case, then uh, a blanket or an umbrella of arachnophobia is is truly a phobia. Yeah, and wouldn't it be the uh, wouldn't it be the case that more spiders would mean less flies, which could mean less spread of disease i love spiders in my house not only are spiders inherently amazing beautiful organisms that create intricate webs and have fascinating behaviors but yeah if if you don't want certain insects in your home then they're really efficient predators that's uh so pro pro spiders um we're all pro spiders here what about I can imagine Barrett doing one of those mindfulness recordings in Dulcet. Oh, I think I should do that. <laughs> About Sh like. Shane, you'll be my test market. Okay. <laughs> you have you have too much inflection, uh, <sighs> too much enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. Chant it out. Many eyes. Segmented jointed legs. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, I love that 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 um, that tone is so soothing. Just that mm. nice. Everything sounds like it's underwater. Uh, mm. Anyone can make this tone without having to worry about having a good singing voice or whatever. It's just it, <laughs> it feel it feels like coming home. Um, I uh, okay. So let's talk about. 
I have so many more like Pence jokes and stuff I, I could try to throw out there, but whatever. It honestly that's I think we did a decent job with Pence. I, I, I think of, <laughs> of the amount of I I it will be fun to see like similar things happen in the future and people be like, oh that person just got pantsed. They <laughs> Uh, yes. got pensed on national <laughs> tv and but but uh it, I, let's talk about mosquitoes because i first reached out to you guys it, it's just wonderful timing that that we already had this lined up and the and the fun fly thing happened it seemed like a it's been a great year for insect news generally i don't remember insects uh permeating uh, the zeitgeist of of, of the of, of uh, pop culture or whatever as much as they have in in 2020. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe but... you're paying more attention because you're Barrett's friend. I'm <laughs> telling be. you, entomology is infectious. Like one person <laughs> shows some enthusiasm about it, and you're just sucked right in. I mean, and 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 Barrett was. Uh, the fourth or fifth entomologist I've had, I, I, I'm interested in insects generally. Uh, why wouldn't you be? They're, they're aliens that fly around right. us oh. all of the time. Mm -hmm. It's a it's window mostly. into looking at ourselves as aliens. It's, it's, there's, uh, I mean, there's, uh, looking through the fly eyes back at ourselves is a fun thought experience. It's just... Insects are, are endlessly wonderful. What, 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 what are you showing there? I think we should start with Describe Robert Hooke's Micrographia, 1665. Okay. For, for people that can't see this. Yeah, so Micrographia by Robert Hooke. And Robert Hooke was uh, one of the first microscopists inventing a compound microscope. And he looked at all manner of minutiae. And look at this, <laughs> among the many insects he features... The larval mosquito. Ooh. Right? So we've been thinking about mosquitoes and dealing with mosquitoes for more than these several hundred years, for millennia, millennia, millennia. And, Ooh. ready for this? In 50 animals that change the course of history, who is the first of the 50? You got it. Anopheles gambia. It's the basically the Anopheles malarial vectoring mosquito, changing the course of history. This is and then one of many other books. Our natural history of our most <laughs> persistent and deadly foe, mosquito. <laughs> so we've been thinking about mosquitoes a long time. So this, I advise Shane. Should be there episode was... one of thirty-seven on mosquitoes oh gosh, alone. On uh, I, right, I got them too, and I'm, I, I didn't even that... plan this, but I all have all kinds of mosquito American books. plague. <laughs> you guys are just surrounded <laughs> by. You've got them all. Classics. Uh, Classics. Here's a, here's a textbook: <laughs> Biology of Disease Vectors. This is who's on the cover. And there's my dad. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry, Shane. No, do not apologize. This is so much fun. I want listeners. This is another great YouTube episode. I I want you to hit rewind to what happened <laughs> I, I, on on the last book that Barrett held up. It was the Red Mosquito by book. Andy Spielman. After yeah. after he put it down, 
he had this look on his face like, hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about, obviously. <laughs> and, and All it's, about mosquitoes. It's, it's, worth, it's worth a reviewing. I have other authoritative <laughs> sources. Are you ready? Another? <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. my God. Now this probably I don't know does. if I'm ready. You didn't ask for my answer. <laughs> you just so. asked if I was ready and you just moved forward. Luke, I didn't tell I'm you if I was ready. This or one, not. <laughs> I'm betting this one isn't gracing your shelf lyric. You ready? From the Chinese medicine series, Chinese materia medica, insect drugs, dragon and snake drugs, fish drugs. By Bernard E. Reed. What okay. did they? Oh, I don't actually have that one. <laughs> 1985. And let's turn to page 148. Yeah, we be better. Ready. Half the page is dedicated to mosquitoes, but my favorite line <laughs> turtles and tortoises are afraid of them. Hence, in cooking turtles, a few mosquitoes are added to soften the meat. Ah. Fireflies and bats eat them. <laughs> I think we're done. Delicious. That's it. <laughs> Delicious. Who needs those additional 36 episodes on mosquitoes? Um, wow. Unless you want to learn I, about this graphic novel. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another mosquito. Uh, uh, okay. An omnilingual Nosferatu pictomunition novel. So I just want to tell you that um, I dropped some knowledge on you, Shane, that yeah. may blow your mind. But. You wanted to talk today about the fly. I and don't even care. I'm just no, happy to be know. talking. I'm, I love how <laughs> off the rails we're like. Finally, usually my guests are annoyed with me for going so far <laughs> off, off the rails. I'm. I'm I live just, for tangents. I live for. Ta- <laughs> I'm. I'm just in bliss right now. So okay, so yeah. here it is. But I'm going to drop some some professorial knowledge on you. A mosquito. Also, is a fly. Oh, I am yeah. I am I a bad person for not knowing that? No, yes or no? You're you're in the majority. Not inherently bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're in the so, majority. I would say. So Shane, notice this cover, and you've got an anatomically correct mosquito there because it has six legs and two wings. Diptera, Greek diptera. So the dipterans, the true flies, have two true wings. And, and so if you were to zoom in, no, if you were to zoom in on Mike's a, hair, you would see two wings. two wings. Yeah, but is that mosquito an accurate representation? <laughs> well, let me it, find uh, a better picture of uh, a mosquito. <laughs> okay, here, here's one. <laughs> this is better. There we go. Two oh, so wings. They do, all mosquitoes just have two wings? All flies. All and mosquitoes flies. belong to one family, culicity of flies. Oh. The hind wings, because insects. So you tried to break this down for me last time, and yeah, I yeah, was yeah. I was just dazzled. Sometimes I'm just dazzled by a bunch of sciencey words, and I don't take any of it in. I just Paltiers. Well, just keep telling it. <laughs> I just enjoy. It's like music to me. I I, don't, I used to get caught up like when I didn't when I wasn't like following along with a thing or misunderstanding something in a book or whatever. And now I just keep going and hope that it clicks into place. And I I, I kind of enjoy it. Um. And so and so the the glaze over my eyes sometimes. That's not. That's, oh, that's not, not all? indifference. 
That's appreciation. It's not, it's not total apathy, Lyra. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a, <laughs> um, so our mis- gosh, Whoa. there's just so there's a lot to unpack. It, Shane, can it, I rewind it, three three hundred ninety million years? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So origin of insects about 390, 400 million years ago or so, they're primitively wingless. So wings didn't just appear when insects appeared. And there's still two extant or presently living orders of insects that remain wingless. Mm. But when wings first evolved... So we got spiders. Oh, separate those spiders. Remember, spiders are arachnids. Oh, right, right. And insects have six segmented jointed legs, by and large, as adults, right? Right. And largely three major body parts, right? Now, and external mouth parts. Episode 37, I'm going to have this down. (laughs) (laughs) And and so flies, it took a while for the the first fly to come about, right? And... The synapomorphy, the shared derived character that's indicative of, that defines flies, the order Diptera, is that the hind pair of wings, because insects have two pairs of wings if they're winged at all, with some exceptions, secondary losses, one major secondary alteration, evolutionary change, was that the hind wings of true flies are haltiers, these arguably gyroscopic balancing organs, the hind uh, appendages, that you can convert genetically to wings again, if you want to, in a point mutation in fruit flies. So it tells us, wow, those are really wings. And when you say true flies, do you think all the fake-ass flies take offense to that? See those? Fake flies, fake damsel flies. Flies. Damsel flies are fake flies. Mayflies, stoneflies, caddisflies, flies my eye. So basically, <laughs> if you're talking about true flies, um, <laughs> entomology is laden with jargon, right? And uh, nomenclatural uh, little um, side root roots, right? Well, one thing that we rely on is to look at a fly name and common names with the fly separated. So house fly, but something like pens fly, fly, the yeah, pens <laughs> fly. But if we talk about something like a caddis fly, which isn't a fly at all, it belongs to the order Trichoptera, closer to a moth than anything else. You've got one word, caddis fly, together. Mm. So they are not true flies. But they fly, so we use fly in the name. I think and I a lo- lot of ordinal names or order names of insects that are between 25 to 35 orders of insects, depending on what taxonomist you speak with, uh, many of those Latinate names end with ptera or wing in Greek. See, I kind of, as you name, of the ones that I know, I'm starting to think I like these, I like these fake-ass flies more. Mm. Oh, 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 lyric, your response to that? (laughs) In in ways. I mean, damn self fly, I don't know. convert you. (laughs) Really? You don't, you, you, you don't, I mean, damn self fly over house fly any day, No. Shane, there's a brilliant new book uh, <laughs> by a British dipterist or a fly biologist that covers the wealth of flies because there are so many species with so many bizarre forms and behaviors. I feel Don't dismiss like, the fly. 
Well, I mean, I mean, your job as I have one. I have one here. Wait, let me tell you about this one. This one in this vial here on my desk is um, what's called a sheep kid, and sheep kids actually don't usually have wings. And this, my one of my old boyfriends, he he came after a hike. He came and found me. And he had this thing in aftershave, and he said, I found this up my nose, and I thought you might like it. <laughs> and, and then I, then I married him. But anyway. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he he, he found this thing up his nose, and then he put it in aftershave. Like, this is the effect entomologists have on the people around us. He knew he should put it in some alcohol. So I, I would have put it in a ring and got down on one knee. That's what I would have done. <laughs> And he brought it to me and said, this is a really kind of weird fly that doesn't even have, doesn't usually have wings. Well, do you want to know how I wooed Dasha? Yeah, <laughs> I brought her cocoons of luna moths, and on the first night I met her, one emerged and flew off into the moonlight. Real life magic. Come on. Uh, the next visit, some... what was the next gift? Yeah. It was... A horsehair worm. Okay, they're rad. A Gordian knot worm. Yeah. So you know the old tale of the Gordian knot, where there's one big knot on the entrance of a city, and anybody who can untie that knot can be ruler of the city. And then Alexander the Great came in and whoosh, with his sword sliced that knot, and then he took it over, right? So cutting the Gordian knot is a phrase you'll hear now and again. The easy way to to make a big gain, right? Well, what? these worms that are like little round worms, but they're much longer, can tie themselves into knots. They're called horsehair worms because people thought in uh, water troughs where horses fed, every once in a while you might find one of these worms, and they thought, oh, it's a horsehair that fell in and came to life. Okay, but but tell what they do. Okay. So because this part's the I coolest. Can, I can share brilliant, beautiful videos of well, I'll give you the first trophic level as an or say parasite level as an example. Here you've got a cricket, and the cricket goes to a pool or a ephemeral body of water, drinks up that water, and may lap up or imbibe immature forms, stages of the horsehair worm, and go off, keep living a cricket life until somehow it's behaviorally compelled to return to a body of water. It leaps in that water and then basically explodes. A worm rides out, usually the anal opening, and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming because they're especially long <laughs> round or cylindrical worms. Well, add some intrigue to that tale, one more layer, you might happen upon a southern leopard frog or some frog and all of a sudden it's gaping its maw like bah, ah, opening its mouth and what's coming out Ew, a nematode so the frog may have eaten a cricket and the nematode exits that host that is no longer a safe body to be in and then exits the frog alive to see another day wow Right. Life is amazing. Amazing. This is why we're biologists. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you can't make that shit up. That's right. That is right. It is amazing. Uh, 
So, I got to go back to one thing. Uh, you mentioned dragons in that book. Oh, what, yeah, dragons. What, what was, you want to learn about dragon medicine? What was... <laughs> What was that? What were they talking about? Were they talking about Dra- like dragons? Uh, um, <laughs> were Not they talking flies. about like <laughs> dragonflies, Komodo dragons? What what kind of what kind of dragons were? Or or were they actually just like? I there's a dragon over the hill. I can't show it to you, but here's a serum from the. What was going on there? Well, unfortunately, the book I have is limited to the insects and arachnids, so I open oh, oh. it does have fishes, like the gray mullet, so I may not, oh, it does have a snake I take that back, I just focused on the insects I should focus on the dragons I mean, the later chapters yeah, it's Pangol- flesh of the pangolin, it's interesting that you saw that title, you didn't have any questions about the Come back to me later about the dragons and I'll have some recipes for you. Uh, all right. Well, uh, uh, Lyric, as far as, um, as far as vectors that, um, uh, that, that carry maybe the highest number of pathogens for, for humans are mosquitoes, Number one, or are there any other? What well, I have that to admit, close? actually, that an arachnid probably outcompetes a mosquito for the number of different kinds of pathogens that can be transmitted. Because a spider, ticks, ticks. I just got ticks. done. Oh, an arachnid. Got it. Yeah. I see ticks. Okay. All right. So it, it was okay to it was okay to still that we like spiders. Still, we just. <laughs> Want to avoid ticks, ticks actually are more related to spiders, you know, because they have eight legs. Right. Okay. It all comes down to legs and wings, Shane. Hmm. Okay. Well. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into mosquitoes. Let's do it. What in What in the world are we talking about? Uh, with um, so we're altering. We're maybe gonna alter their DNA so that to to change the 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 gender that they're giving birth to so that because because only females um suck our blood something like am am i in the ballpark yeah all of of, those things there's so many different permutations of the things we could do with with altering a mosquito's dna i didn't even i never looked at the story or anything i just saw the headline i reached out to barrett i was like here's a thing let's talk about it uh and i i so so what's what what's going on with the the major story that got the news and is this just and why and why did it make the news is this just stuff that's going on all of the i imagine this has been a long ongoing process and probably things that have been tried in other places many times before there's other insects too yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Barrett, do you want to start oh Please, Lyric. Uh, okay. Yeah, Lyric. Could, so, could, could, could you choose your own adventure? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the one to which you refer was a story about the Florida Keys. Is that yep. right? Yes. And um, and mosquitoes that were going to be released with the idea of controlling dengue virus. 
Um, so the mosquitoes that they want to control are mosquitoes called Aedes aegypti. Okay, so Aedes aegypti is one of 3,600 species of mosquito. So a mosquito is not a mosquito. It's not a mosquito. There's so many different Wait, kinds. Wait, 360,000? 3,600 different oh, kinds. Oh, 3,000. That's All just right. one family of fly, yeah. right? And of the 3,600 described species of mosquitoes, many more potentially waiting to be discovered and described scientifically, there are only a few hundred that really would bother to suck the blood of a human. Also, and of those... Only a few that we really need to worry about. How often is it that you discover a new mosquito species? Pretty often, I imagine. If well, you got thirty six hundred last year <laughs> here in Wisconsin, one of my graduate students is a is a bona fide taxonomist, and so he um, devoted his PhD to looking at mosquitoes um, in this particular group that were in Wisconsin and also in Argentina and, um, and Brazil and Cuba. And so like this, he was looking at this different or that this particular kind of mosquito and doing what we call a taxonomic revision, which means there are issues with the, the way we name those mosquitoes. And so he was working on unraveling those issues. So he was doing some sampling for mosquitoes in the UW-Madison Arboretum and found a mosquito that just didn't properly align with all of the other mosquitoes in a key. And the, and the way that you do this is, is sometimes you have to do things like tease out the male genitalia of the mosquito in order like to be able to that. say, mm, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm blushing a little now. So, so I have a really funny story about the, 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 the well, genitalia. But anyway, um, the, the genitalia just didn't match up to anything that had ever been described before. And so, so he described this, you know, based on how it looks. And then we also did a little molecular identification and, and we'll have a new mosquito called Anopheles mirabilis. I mean, wow. Ah, I what, what? Oh. And this is like a this is a group of insects that's super well sampled because people are always worried about what's out there and what's transmitting disease, right? Um, if 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 we can still find new mosquitoes, you can imagine how much discovery potential there is. Because yeah, we're all paying attention to mosquitoes. Yeah. yeah, I. Yeah. Lyric. <laughs> so. It by the way, did in, my voice just change a little bit? A little. You did. Mm -hmm. Shoot. And not in a prepubescent kind of way. In, in, in a good way, right? It's, it's slightly better. I, That's right. It's lower. I forgot to check Sultry. a heading. <laughs> Uh, I forgot to check a setting ahead of time, but that's it's good. I got it. I got it. That gives me time to ask Lyric a question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For mosquitoes, is it typically a lock and key mechanism? Are they that distinct that you can say male Ediagus fits with the female, the male genitalia fits with the female genitalia? No. Okay. What do you lock and key mechanism with? The idea that you can uh, have one um, a sex of within one species match with the genitalia structurally of the uh, other sex of the species, 
by a lock and key, like it fits perfectly yeah, in. Yeah. And there's some species that that tends to be. This lady, I'm sure there's some. Uh, this some lady has a um, uh, a oval opening. This fella has a oval shaped thing, and then yeah, it gets really wild and extreme, especially in some beetles and some fly species. Uh, Bill he Eberhard has a marvelous, um, well, he's done a lot of work. He's in Costa Rica, done a lot of work pairing genitalia, spiders, um, flies, beetles, showing the remarkable lengths, spiral shapes, all manner of things that are specific, species specific. That's a, I mean, if some, if you're at a, uh, if you're at a bar and someone asks you what you do, I pair genitalia. You're a matchmaker? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Not, sort of. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, pe people, I, I imagine the average listener that's never heard about fly and various insect penises before is like, that, that probably sounds strange. Like, what, why is this person teasing out the male genitalia? I, I think knowing a little... Uh, the little I know about fly, um, the male flies organs, uh, I think it would be crazy to not want to have a little peek at Tease that thing right, and right. see see what's going on there. It's, I mean, arguably some of some of the most sophisticated genitalia uh, in any living thing. I I would say. No, so I've been, is that I've been, is that bold? <laughs> is that is that a is that a controversial statement? Or? Eric, I'll let you handle this controversy. <laughs> oh, well, I was thinking actually about this this beautiful set of videos, um, the Green Porno series. Oh yeah, by Rossellini. Yeah, Isabella Rossellini. Yeah, if you mm. haven't seen, she has a whole segment on diverse shape of penises that, that is as well worth, dare I, I say, taking in. I've seen... <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I, I've seen but some of But do take note of the exploding uh, honeybee drone by amazing. Isabella Rossellini. Yes, amazing. Mm. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you'd, you'd be a fool to not want to look under the hood or tease out the hood or what is it? Right. I guess that's... Yes. I don't know. Yeah, so this student had like <laughs> on a zip on a flash drive that I was using had files of images of male genitalia. And so mm -hmm. the folder names were male genitalia. And I happened to go to a, a scientific conference where I um, took one of those thumb drives with the folders that said male genitalia and had my PowerPoint also in this thumb drive. And then I put the thumb drive in and the whole room sees that I have like four gigs of male genitalia images <laughs> in folders. Well. So I work the thumb drive out like, I swear they're inside. <laughs> well, before computers, you're showing up to a conference with just with just boxes of, <laughs> of files right. labeled <laughs> male genitalia. This is the life uh, of an entomologist. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I I love that. Uh, I mean, this is uh, I I like that this person's made themselves just a real student of it uh, that they can look under a microscope and be like, there there's all there's Different. thirty thirty six hundred known male mm -hmm. uh, mosquito penises. This guy mm -hmm. looks at a at a penis like 
I haven't seen a penis like this before. Quite like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, this is how that's the incredible. eye of an entomologist works. <laughs> that's absolutely Shane, we amazing. All, we all have our own search images, right? Yes. <laughs> and I, I, want to, I just wanted to mention that this past year, I've had the honor, privilege of forming a collaboration with Lyric in her lab. And an undergraduate in my lab, Drew Liesecker, has uh, done work looking for the potential vector of an old uh, disease in the area in La Crosse, Wisconsin, that actually rendered a handful of children dead in the 1970s. And so it seems to have vanished. We're on the hunt for the presumed vector, which exists. In fact, it seems to be the most numerous one around. So what happened locally to this uh, disease? And that's a big question. And so the idea of thinking about what seems trivial, like teasing out these male genitalia to to distinguish whether it's this species or that species, aren't all mosquitoes the same? If the females are sucking human blood? No, there may be very special uh, traits or characteristics from species to species that make one a better vector than another to potentially a life-threatening virus in this case. Hmm. So I, I kind of wanted to ask about uh, when, when is it that humans started uh, as you were showing, uh, as you both were showing all these books and some of the history of this stuff, when is it that humans kind of started picking up on insects as a possible vector? Because it's my, a common story that I hear in germ theory is like they were, they were doing autopsies in this hospital and then they go and deliver uh, babies uh, right afterwards with the, very proud of their bloody hands that shows That's that they right. were working very hard and and they're wondering why females or, or babies or whatever in this particular hospital are seeming to have higher rates of whatever disease it was. I, 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 A bacterial-laden one in that case. That's right. Yeah, and uh, but I would think that, you know, I have a, um, a, a friend uh, who um, does some anthropology in, in Peru, works with these uh, Shipibo people who, um, who plant um, tobacco uh, uh, plants a- around their area and kind of, they, they say, you know, it keeps the spirits away or, or, or like the angels or I forget what exact how exactly they phrase it. It's something like that in, in the in the kind of um, like alien anthropologist functionality of it is is that the the tobacco is working as a insecticide, mm-hmm. um, and 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 but but their kind of conscious narrative that they're telling uh, themselves is that like it's good luck or whatever to have so. Uh, do do we have a sense of when humans might have started picking up on? Uh, on these notions of insects as vectors for disease or or bad luck or illness? I'm going to add one more tale of ignorance during um, Black Plague. Samuel Pepys' diaries uh, mentions actually the book I just showed, Micrographia, with the image of the flea. So the flea is a vector of the plague, right? But at the time, they didn't know that. They didn't make that association. Eric, is there a first case scenario that people have documented well? 
So, uh, so you know, people have known the burden of mosquito-borne disease for thousands of years, mm-hmm. and so you know, there's there's certainly um, ancient texts that document the symptoms associated with things like malaria, uh, and we can we can find. Um, uh, you know, buried people from thousands and thousands of years ago and detect malaria parasites in their bodies or, or you know, typhus or other uh, sort of vector-borne diseases in their bodies. So, so we know that people have struggled with these things for a long time, but it was around the 1800s that the first at least documented um, incident that I know of where this, this connection was really made in a scientific way was uh, a doctor who was um, deployed by the British in the Philippines, and this is his name is Sir Patrick Manson. He noted that um, people had this disease, elephantiasis. And elephantiasis is a really brutal, stigmatizing illness where a person has um, struggles with the lymph not moving properly in their bodies anymore. That's right? a rough so, Google image. It's uh, be, really be warned. Rough. Yeah, <laughs> and and the Encyclopedia Britannica when I was a kid had some pretty poignant images of people who were infected with this. Mm. Um, and so it's really it's a really debilitating disease because lymph builds up in your legs or in men it, it sometimes pools in the scrotum and and it it slows you down. It leads to all these secondary infections, so you're not feeling well. So, so this British physician was treating patients who had elephantiasis, and he was, um, you know, um, autopsying people who had died, and he found these parasites in their bodies. And the parasites were were fairly long. Um, these nematodes, actually the same thing that Barrett was talking about in relationship to the horse hairs and the knots, mm-hmm. um, another kind of nematode, was in the lymph ducts of these people who had this disease. And then he also noticed that there were little versions of those parasites circulating in the blood of infected mm-hmm. people. And he did some math because he knew what the little ones were looking like and how big they were. And, th- and he looked at how big the big ones were. And he decided if every one of those little worms circulating in the blood achieved the size of the adult parasite, there would no longer be any space in the blood vessels <laughs> of these people. So, so there had to be some sort of intermediate that was taking the blood with the parasites and growing the parasites up and, and transferring it elsewhere. Mm. And and there were several people who were starting to think about bloodsuckers and transmission of pathogens to like um, livestock, for example. So so people were starting to think, well, maybe the bloodsuckers have a role in the in in the um, epidemiology of these different diseases. So Sir Patrick Manson did some work, and he fed mosquitoes on infected people, and figured. Um, that this would take some time. So he dissected the mosquitoes over time and he saw that the little parasites from the blood grew. And he, he drew these beautiful diagrams of how the parasites grow and what they look like under a microscope, thanks to the book Barrett showed you earlier, um, right? So he saw that the parasites grow and develop. And then he thought, well, the way this probably happens, like a horsehair worm then, is that the mosquito goes to lay eggs in the water and she dies and the parasites get out and then somebody drinks the water and that's how they get infected. Mm. So he had 
figured out parts of the life cycle, but he missed the part, which is that actually it's when the mosquito goes and feeds again that the parasite brute force crawls out of her face and into the skin of the next potential host. Mm. And so he started to document that process. Then um, some other people, um, Sir Ronald Ross working in India figured that this may be applied to malaria and started feeding mosquitoes on people who had malaria and saw parasites develop in the mosquito. And, and then Walter Reed, whose name has come up in the news recently. This is such a, this is the most topical episode I've ever done. <laughs> so Walter Reed um, was the first person, and this was right around 1900, to show then that he too was thinking, well, yellow fever maybe is associated with mosquitoes. And um, there was good reason to believe that. And so Walter Reed in Cuba took volunteers and, um, and exposed them to different scenarios where, um, so they thought that yellow fever maybe was transmitted by fomites, which means inanimate objects contaminated with the bloody uh, material of people who are dying of yellow fever. So if you have yellow fever, like you bleed out your eyes and you turn yellow and get jaundiced and have all, all this horrible hemorrhaging and die terrible death. And so he had some volunteers lying on soiled bedding from people who had died from yellow fever. And he had other volunteers in tents. <laughs> oh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you and if you survive, we'll give you some cash. And, uh, and, wow. and we, as a result, have some more rules and regulations about how you work with human subjects. Thank goodness. But anyway, then he had another tent where he had volunteers who were um, exposed to mosquitoes that had fed on people who had yellow fever. So he put loaded mosquitoes that he'd fed on people and let them sit for a while and then put them into the tent. And, and he showed conclusively that it's not the people who are sleeping on bloody bedclothes that get infected, but it's the people who've been fed upon by infected mosquitoes that get yellow fever. And so um, that work was done not all that long ago, right? Like 120 years ago, but mm. that's how we began to understand that mosquitoes are involved in the transmission of these different pathogens. Amazing. And of course we would have had like many mammals, natural aversions to different aspects of the environment. I mean, there's uh, don't like elephants kind of like fan off bugs and stuff with their tails or ears or whatever. Hey, I, 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 you, you would think if, if, uh, if it would have, um, improved humans inclusive fitness to be bit by mosquitoes it would probably feel orgasmic or <laughs> you know it would it would feel, it'd feel like getting a massage or something it'd be something you would you would look you know what's forward interesting to. though is like after you get so many bites you often um, become tolerant of it so so mm. i for example have some mosquitoes that still give me really horrible itchy bites but other mosquitoes can feed on me and i hardly know that they they've been there Hmm. Um, and that's change that's developed over time for you, Larry. So it's like a beekeeper. Like if I get stung at the beginning of the season versus toward the end of the season, it'll be very different. Huh. Is that a thing with beekeepers? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although unusual and things after can... in the winter, you you find yourself missing those stings. <laughs> <laughs> now, strangely, uh, allergens can act in odd ways and. 
You can have the rare beekeeper who's worked with bees for 30 plus years all of a sudden go into anaphylaxis. Anaphylactic wow. shock. I thought we also find that those those elements of, of the bee sting, right, the, the venom that you get as a result, have some really interesting pharmaceutical properties that oh, yeah. are super beneficial, too. Multiple sclerosis, some say for asthma. There are all kinds of uses for um, well-placed stings. In hmm. fact, my honeybee mentor years ago would sting his mother to help with her asthma. Really? He didn't do it personally with his modified ovipositor or egg-laying device, but through a bee. Interesting. Only females have egg-laying devices. Uh, Yes, as as we know. Um, (laughs) The evolution of the sting. Uh, And this, I imagine, there's got to be some people out there. Justin Schmidt comes to mind that that have a bit of like a sting fetish. Uh, over. <laughs> What's that? I love him. He's so fascinating. <laughs> yes. he, he's just such a character. We had like, I would give a talk at a meeting once, and and he actually brought wasps in like jars, shoved in big tube socks, <laughs> what, <laughs> carried was on he, a plane with him. Was <laughs> he wearing a shirt with his book on it? No, it, was, yes. it was right before his book was published, actually. Oh, so. okay. Since his entire wardrobe changed. <laughs> but if, if your listeners don't know... He wears a t-shirt with his, yeah, with that. With but his own book But if your on. listeners don't know Justin Schmidt, the man came up with a pain index yeah. to describe the sensation of of a variety of stings. <laughs> I, I had him on the podcast, and we, we oh, talked God. all about the evolution of the insect sting and the the... Uh, what's what would the correct word be? The the co-op the co-opting of the the kind of the um egg storage ish area. Please help me. The ovipositor, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, was a reservoir. That was, that that was correct ish. Okay. Yeah. All right. We interpreted, and so <laughs> so you know when you think about like a social insect that's wanting to defend its its colony or home as compared to a mosquito, they really have to have quite different interactions with the mammal with which they're interacting, say. So, right, like a, a stinging hymenopteran wants you to go away. Mm-hmm. If, if, it's, if it's that, if it's, you know, more social, typically, right, the more social ones are mm-hmm. the ones that are best adapted to to repel you by stinging you and causing you pain. And the opposite is true of a mosquito. So a mosquito really benefits more from being kind of stealthy and not causing you a whole hell of a lot of pain in the process of taking blood. And so that's all dictated instead of by what's coming out of her ovipositor, it's by what's coming out of her spit glands with saliva. So the mosquito spits in you as she's blood feeding and she leaves behind things like um, uh, proteins that are maybe a little anesthetic. So you're not feeling pain Mm. or proteins that do things like dilate your blood vessels. So your blood flows more readily to the spot where she's feeding. So is is itchiness potentially this this uh, adaptation that we have, or the, the itchiness is just a byproduct of of uh, this unavoidable th- uh, um, spandrel or whatever you would say of of, of kind oh, of other good. things yeah. going on? 
Yeah, so it's it's the uh, a, a spandrel is kind of the intersection of two or or multiple functional things that that kind of look like a something that resembles having functionality but isn't isn't it's like intended decorated. um uh, yeah decoration right i'm ju- just making sure i'm using things it, properly it's always yeah th- i think that's really astute shane we always have to think in terms of is this a product of natural selection as a biologist or could it be explained by other means? Mm-hmm. Is it a phylogenetic constraint? Does it just come with you being you and who you're most closely related to? Right. Is it a spandrel? Mm. And uh, in the case of mosquito bite, you know, some find it really annoying to Horrible. scratch that itching bite, and others of us find it stimulating. Mm. So, and, and sometimes, like for me, I don't even get the bite. But, so, and... I, I just worked on a comic book with some with some really amazing comic artists from Marvel. What? Which yes. comic? I, I made my own with some colleagues of mine. You're kidding. Can I see it? Yes, I'll send, I'll send it to wow. you. Wow. I think you yeah. did. It's didn't called, you just put this on Twitter or something? Maybe. Recent? Um, uh, somebody, from, somebody from that project may have posted it. But, but our book is called Mosquitoes Suck. And, and part of what we're teaching people is that a mosquito doesn't actually bite, you know, like it doesn't have the kind of mandibles where it just like chews on you. In fe- instead, she, you know, burrows her mouth parts under your, under your skin and sucks. So. so Marvel is going to produce an entomologically educational comic book? So what happened actually is that a Marvel comic artist... Um, yeah. I have several of them actually um, work as, as free agents. And so they're made famous by having done work like drawing Spider-Man. And one of the guys who drew me, which is super exciting to me, did Ren and Stimpy. Oh my goodness. I know. And Shane's looking at me like he doesn't even know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> no, I just have too many questions again. This That's, is remarkable. Remember, I warned it's you about so the glaze. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I told you it's a glaze of enthusiasm <laughs> okay. over my eyes. I, I, <laughs> I thought it was because you don't know who Ren and Stimpy. No, are. I do. I do. Okay. I, I I remember <laughs> Ren and Stimpy. Well. Wow! I have now yeah. even new layers of respect and admiration for yeah, you. Lyric. I can't this wait remarkable. to show this to you. It is <sighs> so cool. And do you know what I watched last night? Oh, tell. The comic book confidential from 1989 or so. Maybe I'll do that tonight. It's great. But it has some of the heroes and the and the controversies of the origins of mm. comic books. Mm. Oh, I'd like to see it. Mm. So, yeah. so part of what we get at in the book is we we talk about mosquitoes suck, but mosquitoes suck because they need blood in order to grow a batch of eggs, and so we talk about the perils of being a mosquito mom, and try to actually. I know this is crazy, but we actually try to build. Um, empathy in the audience for the, the plight of a mosquito. It's not an easy life yeah. to be a bloodsucker. I love that. <laughs> and, wow. then, I... and then we talk about, you know, this kind of battle between, um, between mosquitoes and human beings and, you know, whether we should try and wipe all 
wipe out all the mosquitoes? And mm. what are the consequences if we wipe out all of the mosquitoes? Which gets back to the question that we started with, the, which was, what's going on in Key West, right? This, this was meant to be the whole purpose of the show. We're almost done. <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's not unusual for me to never get to the actual reason why I actually had people on. And I, I, can't, I can't keep you forever, but we should at least touch on it a little bit before I have to... Or do you guys have a hard out? Do either you have to, like, uh, skedaddle for something? Um and I've got, you have a little I've got mosquito poems okay. I've got to read before this is through. Yeah, so. okay. yeah of course. Good. So, of so course. I'll, just, I'll, start, I'll tell you a, just a teeny bit can, about can what's I, happening in can I Can I real quick yeah. mosquito bite um, uh, 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 mosquito bite advice mm -hmm. um, uh, Are you going to ask if you can uh, tense up your muscle to explode the mosquito? No, I... <laughs> this I, urban legend? No, no, I'm... Oh. I, the itching, I, you're supposed to itch kind of around on the sides. Mm. I believe that, that, that it like kind of tricks a, an aspect of, mm. of your pain reception neurologic to think that. And so you're not irritating the actual bite, but you're still satiating that, um, oh, that and sensation. And or you're not like actually tearing your skin open and leaving a scabby mark there. Yeah. So I think there's a variety of reasons. You know, people will say... Like take a take a fingernail if you have fingernails or something sort of semi sharp, and and poke it, or make an X over it, and that somehow <laughs> relieves. But yeah, but you guys um, don't have a. There's not a well known scientific consensus best practice. On I only have I mean, a solution as to how to alleviate the itch of a mosquito bite on a phantom limb. Oh, see, not very helpful then, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it won't help you. Really? Yeah, that'll be another episode. Another. It's I mean, a whole another episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other episode. <laughs> you can't just... Let's okay, just say I wrote fine. the solution. Uh, I just mentioned it in the margin of a book, and I didn't have room in that margin to write the whole theorem. Okay, all right. We can work on that together. Yeah. It'll be a collaborative uh, effort. But uh, so, okay. but, you know, it is, so what I've told you though, is that yeah. it's an immune response, right? So it's, this is your body rejecting and responding to the fact that that mosquito spit under your skin. Hmm. And so, so hydrocortisone or some of those sort of um, creams, topical creams that you might put on a, on something itchy should help alleviate the pain. You can scratch it however you want to scratch it, Shane. We'll support you. <laughs> we will totally support you. If you think that works and that helps you, then just yes. You do. I, I actually do that X kind of thing. You do the yeah, X. That's very... Um, I, I don't know it's what I It's such a case-by-case case thing, it's, Shane. Yeah. We haven't tried the baking soda thing. Have you ever done the baking soda thing after a sting, Barrett? Only poison ivy. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have done it after a sting. I don't, you know, it gives a cooling sensation. I haven't found that it did very much for me. <laughs> I, I had this Rejuviate in my shower this oh, summer. Oh, you did? Wow. This massive assassin, assassin bug. bug in my shower. And it, I saw it kind of Should going. be called the Hitler bug. <laughs> Perhaps. Right? It was, it was, Isn't that it what was, we were saying earlier? It'd be better than this beetle, but you should okay. never... For all the taxonomists in your audience, please don't burden a species with a politician's name. 
Yeah, that's you know? an important point to make for yeah, but the you have a friend who's naming <laughs> who's naming slime mold eating beetles after Dick and Cheney. Dick but Cheney it's and, not, and it's not, sadly it's not otherwise a good irony. person. We we don't like that aspect. We don't we don't all uh, 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 but otherwise <laughs> otherwise he's a nice guy. Good scientist otherwise. Okay, uh, anyway, I'm telling you a story. So yes. all right. This is my quick story. So, assassin in the shower. This is a psycho episode. I know exactly. It was like that, except smaller. And so, I went to pick this thing up because it was getting really close to the drain hole, and I knew that it wasn't a good idea to get my finger close to that thing's rostrum. But I felt like it was about to go down the drain, and so I reached down, not being able to find anything else to scoop it up, and and it just tagged me and it was like oh i should have had justin schmidt's pain index but it was hot stabbing pain in my finger and i actually mm. screamed and mm. and screams that- a three out of four <laughs> at, <laughs> at three. i think there should be a different scale for men and women <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily. Uh, i don't know well because the a- average um Honeybee domestica is uh, <laughs> <laughs> at level two. That's kind of a baseline. That's a, that's a level okay, no, this two. is much worse. This is so like that'd a, be a three. Four, and so then four I screamed should at my feel partner. like you're chained to the side of a volcano as lava is coming out, I think. Okay, all the, right, so maybe it wasn't a four. But anyway, I screamed to Medi to run and get me some baking soda and, and made a poultice and rubbed it on this gaping hole this assassin bug had made. And it did provide immediate relief, and and I did not have a long term. Wow! Like, but I haven't arc. been zapped by. I don't think I've been zapped by a Redivivid. Now, did you do the smart thing and have the same bug uh, bite the other person just to see if it would garner the same response or elicit the same? I have to. Response? I have to admit that, <laughs> that I got a little emotional. Thing. I got a little emotional and retaliatory and. And I let that thing go down. Don't no! It don't even say it. Lyric, no. <laughs> it went down the um, drain. Let the Redivivid go free. I would have absolutely. I tried, but then it tagged me, and I was screaming, and it went down the drain. Oh. Uh, and I and I was like, okay, well then, that's what happens. So <laughs> normally, you see an insect in the shower; it's going to go down the drain. You try to save it. That's the idea. That's actually what I do. I would have never thought to do that. Same All right, new practice. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have collecting jars all over the house. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, so we got this idea. Back to Florida. We 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 don't want. Uh, we we know mosquitoes are, are are potentially causing all all the the spread of all these pathogens, and we uh, here's a we got this new fancy uh dna editing crispr this and that that we can do and we can make it so that uh when uh when when oh. that wonderful exposed male genitalia is the key that goes into a lock and fertilizes the female her eggs will only be males shane so that what I've am i going to interject up? yeah in order me. Yeah, in order to make this the most topical episode of all time, yeah. I want to add two things. You just Please. mentioned CRISPR, and the two latest Nobel laureates helped to develop CRISPR. Wow. That yeah, is... and this was just announced two days ago. Another topical wow. item. We haven't <laughs> once mentioned Fossey yet, correct? Uh, no, not yet. 
But in 2016, he entered the discussion slash debate as to whether or not mosquitoes should be eradicated. Can you guess which side he fell on? I'm going to say Fossey was... Um, what What is... So this is just a... Uh, binary, you either eradicate them yeah, or you don't, kind of. Although he did qualify within I, I would say that you, you, you keep them. He's saying that you keep them. <sighs> he kills them. Oh, wow. Well, so I, I lost a little respect is... for him, although he did mention uh, valid points within the op-ed piece, and one of those valid points was that it's impossible for us to actually eradicate them. And he did mention that there are over 3,000 species. So let's cross that bridge when we get there, kind of an argument. We're, we're so far from having to worry about that, that getting rid of some of, uh, of them and, and lowering mosquito populations would be in human interest. Was, it, was the, it, it is interesting that... that um, uh, we we like to put a face on 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 these huge systems. Uh, it makes us. It, it, I think it's easier to just wrap your head around things. Where like um, Trump is the face of the Republican Party or whatever. Fossey, which I actually do think that that Trump is the face of something <laughs> significant. But but then uh, I, I mean, fo people are like. Fossey is the face of science, or, or like Einstein was the face of physics, or whatever, and and it, it it really, or Justin Schmidt is the face of entomology, or or something, and and you have this idea where that kind of neglects all of the different um, underlying things that are happening uh, behind the scenes of science, and and the many the variety of different points of view, and people seem to think like a scientist, like say Fossey's opinion, is is the exact opinion of every single the all of the scientific community. Well, it's a complex world, and it's easier if we can absorb a soundbite, yeah, and if we can uh, think in terms of. Uh, rhetoric, platitudes, uh, simple phrases, statements, binary yays or nays, and the argument is a complex one, and I hope we have time to get into it because I have strong feelings about it. I imagine Lyric might I have do. some strong feelings about it too, and uh, but I diverted attention just for topic topicalities <laughs> <laughs> to bring in Fossey and to bring in the two. Um, recent Nobel laureates for CRISPR. I, but Lyric, would you... Both I'd love to hear your thoughts about the Florida Keys venture by this company that's had some history with genetically engineering insects and what their stalled plans may result in with respect to... And if you don't mind throwing time. a few platitudes in there just to make it easy <laughs> oh, yeah. for it's us. Huge. Some, I'll eat them up. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be really big. Spit them back out. I'm, I'm kind of an anti-platitudist. <laughs> uh, uh, but... Uh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Check. Oh, move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, It'll solve our problems. Check. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I, you know, you, you probably have kind of intuited that I, um, I am not an advocate for eradicating any species. Um, and I, th I think we just have to flip that conversation. Um, Oxytech is the company that's working in the keys to uh, release mosquitoes. 
that are um, going to reproductively fail. Mm. So they, it's, it's brilliant technology they've been working on for a really long time. It's kind of rooted in this idea of sterile insects that have been used pretty successfully to control things like screwworm. That's a really cool story. That's called Shane mossing an insect, actually. (laughs) (laughs) When you design something to be a reproductive failure. (laughs) (laughs) That might be an insult to your mother. <laughs> anyway, oh, not to so, me. I'm I'm quite proud of it. It's a badge of honor. So, so the idea is that you release these mosquitoes. They they actually raise mosquitoes in the lab and they feed them on tetracycline. Mm-hmm. And once the mosquitoes get out into the environment and they mate with natural mosquitoes, the products of that mating will have uh, that same need for tetracycline in order to survive. And so uh, without it there in their feed, they die. Uh, without it there, they get to have a lot of costless, fun, casual sex. Casual sex. Ah! <laughs> and it's the keys, incur, right? Incur it's no the keys. So. On their individual <laughs> Lives. I, I love this. Crisp me up. I want to be crisped. Crisp, what was that word that just shot out of my mouth? Okay, that was, that was like a four-year-old that just learned about DNA. Oh, no, I'm actually just totally going to use that. But, um, so this is not, it's not actually, it's not actually CRISPR technology, but we are working on that, certainly in mosquitoes too. So Oxytech's been working on this idea for a long time and and they're at a point where they, they actually can, you know, deliver a product to communities that need um, some kind of intervention for mosquito control. And if you're if you're recreating in the Florida Keys, you probably don't want to get dengue. And so, you know, if we have some way to control the mosquitoes, it's really useful. And and this is this is really really cool technology. It's totally worth a shot. But I would say that um, the goal, in my mind, whenever it comes to an entomological issue, shouldn't be eradication. It should be reducing the population to a level where the mosquitoes aren't a threat to human health. And also that we should never rely on a single strategy alone. We know that this is a catastrophically bad idea. So, you know, like for, for decades, we just hit mosquitoes across the globe with DDT and that was going to be the end of malaria. They told people in the 1950s, don't, don't bother studying medical entomology. It's, it's a dying field. We have ways to control mosquitoes. And I'm, I'm here in 2020 still doing that work. Um, so really thought, you know, that one single controls approach yeah. would kill all the mosquitoes. And I think it's a, it's a bad idea to imagine that just one thing is a silver bullet. And I'm going to be a little bit more extreme, and this will not gain me any fans on this show or beyond, but even limiting uh, numbers, absolute numbers, let alone diversity of organisms, is hugely problematic from an environmental perspective. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of organisms that rely on, yes, species of and abundances of mosquitoes as food. 
and that can include the aquatic immatures for aquatics, uh, fish and others. Bats? All the way to the adults, bats. Yeah, especially bats, and but birds. a lot of other All kinds of songbirds people, eat mosquitoes. People too. are, look at this. Boom. Bat shirt. Oh, beautiful. People have been hating bats uh, uh, lately. Uh, that's the other, People are trying to eradicate bats now um, be, because of covid it's like ah i i i actually i actually had someone listen to i had a bat researcher on explain why that would be a bad idea and i had a uh, one l listener which i'm grateful that someone was open-minded and and critical thinker but listened to the whole episode and was like yep still not convinced i don't i don't want there to be bats uh, okay. Well, that person and others should look into Bat Conservation International with all their excellent messages coming out of Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah. I, I. So, as... I, I would just. Well, I want to just tag off of Barrett and say sure. I fundamentally am a I'm a naturalist first. I think all entomologists are intrigued first by the the beauty and diversity of insects and. Um, and I really, I really get so uncomfortable with the idea of, of eradicating a species and eradicating mosquitoes. What's that mean? We get rid of 3,600 species? And Lyric, you're, you're probably aware of this paper that was published, let's see, it was uh, FANG 2010 in Nature. And this, there was re several responses to this, I think, naively written uh, piece that tried to explore the idea of eradicating mosquitoes. Not a single species, it was vaguely written. So the idea is just destroy mosquitoes, right? And the responses were interesting in print as well as uh, online. And a couple, actually I've got a quote here from one writer who responded. I thought this was well worded. So Fang wrote, there's not enough evidence of ecosystem disruption here to give the eradicators pause for thought. Okay, let's think about that. There's not enough evidence of disruption by this eradication procedure to cause any trepidation or hesitation to send out a chemical or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But the response by one of the readers was, and I utterly agree with this, it implies that it must be proven that eradicating mosquitoes will have an adverse impact, whereas it should be the other way around. The burden of proof should lie with the eradicators. Before, before the er idea of eradicating 3,500 species of mosquito for the benefit of one, humans, is seriously considered, it must be proven that eradication will not affect our complex ecosystems. We shouldn't forget the precautionary principle. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Even if, even if you were to say get rid of mosquito uh, a species of mosquito or or, or bats bats for instance that just uh, were the the species that nearly got eradicated and that are not uh, nearly went extinct in in New England but that got the um what are the the white nose uh, yeah. uh, fungi uh, th that's another species of of uh, bat flourished in their absence and if if say if say you were going to go hey this one species is bad let's get rid of if another species that moves in and comes that that could potentially be worse or, or what there's it just seems like yeah, there's so many unknown it, it seems like it wouldn't necessarily solve 
your anything. Problem. And I, I'll say as a let, let me let me uh, set myself up for failure and argue with uh, play devil's advocate against <laughs> two far more knowledgeable people. Let's say from uh, just. Uh, help me walk through logic from uh -huh. just like a, a humanist perspective. So I I don't say I don't care about whether or not humans play gods. I, I think that ship has sailed. I uh, say I don't really necessarily care about like a mosquito's feelings or whether it lives or dies or something like that. But I, but I do care about a diverse um, and uh, stable ecosystem insofar as it it serves me and I, I care and, and therefore I, I, I care about species ranked on, on like some level of how much of a keystone species they are. So, so say like you, you snap your fingers and, and all, all dogs disappear. Well, we'll, we'll probably find a way to move on. You snap your fingers and all, all bees disappear and, and society, uh, human society might, uh, collapse. So therefore, I think that that bees are a more important species for my own interest as as a humanist. Um, so so that is to say that if I don't I don't care about if we're playing God. I don't care about if we're driving say a, a species of mosquito extinct. In, um, extinct just because for the sake of caring about extinction is not a nice thing to do or whatever. What, what reasons are there um, to not do it because of uh, the potential negative impacts on, on humans? Can I start with just saying that science is the most powerful, informative vehicle to understand natural phenomena, to understand how the world and the cosmos operates, right? What we have with science is ideally the ability to predict things. That's when it's most powerful. So I think we as biologists, ecologists, naturalists, we know enough to be cautious. Uh, we don't know enough to realize all of the potential rippling effects that one disappearance can cause. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I agree with the person who wrote in that we should follow a precautionary principle, certainly within reason. Mm -hmm. hmm. I think there yeah. are a lot of arguments that have that caution as the driver for us to reconsider eradicating any species on the planet. And we could talk about an extreme, like something that's arguably not even living, like smallpox virus, which raged as a debate. Should we utterly eliminate it from the couple of labs in US and Russia that where it exists? Should it be gone from the planet forever? Or should we maintain it? Is there value in maintaining it? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, now let me, uh, one more devil's advocate and this is... And Lyric, uh, uh, I went off on one direction, but if you want to add, extrapolate right. or... Okay. I, I would, sure? I guess the one thing that I would just say is that um, I, I appreciate your human-centric sort of devil's advocate approach and 
Um, and if I were to come at it from a mosquito's perspective, or from, really from the perspective of any other animal or plant on the planet, I would, from that perspective, say, well, what the hell good is a human? Right. If we talk about environmental impacts, <laughs> mm-hmm. humans are the are the worst. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, listen, you're preaching to the choir if you want to. I, I, I'm I'm for getting crisped. Is that what I said before? Crisper. I am. I think birth control is the single greatest human invention, and 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 there's many more improvements to be made in that regard. I wish I was on some male birth control at this very moment, but um, I, I I just. Uh, I, I wonder, as entomologist and another kind of del- devil's advocate, if if you were to say, I, I mean, you guys love insects. If you were to say, hey, there's this issue. It's not an abundance of mosquitoes. It's that this mosquito population is dying on its own. These or these bats are are got this unexpected fungus, which that was from humans, so it's not necessarily the best argument to make. But regardless, and there's something that we can do to help bring them back there's something that we can do to you know we're trying to do this with saving extinct species all of the time usually in large mammals because they're closer to our size so we Mm -hmm. tend to care about Mm -hmm. them more Mm -hmm. but uh what what do you think about altering things in the other direction Ooh, that's fun now that could bring us into the debate uh in terms of revitalizing a Pleistocene period, where we're, where we're trying to bring back now extinct mammals to bring back, say, for example, the prairies of the U.S. The what of the U.S.? It could, prairies. Yeah, it could yeah. go in a lot of interesting directions. Can you truly bring back an extinct species? Do you expect the same ecological scenario to play out? It's one direction the discussion could go in. Uh, In terms of salvaging a species on the decline, uh, I think there are unknowable and innumerable reasons to consider salvaging a species, even if it's for a human-centric and anthropocentric stance. Mm -hmm. So the idea of unknown medicinal properties right right or unknown you name it um possible benefits to humans but beyond that the unknowables in terms of how the their immediate environments or their ecological scenarios their ecosystem functioning plays out hmm yeah all right convinced I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I I would give more pushback. Wait, the if devil I could, would fire you. I know. I'm not. I'm definitely not the best minion. Like uh, <laughs> I, the devil usually likes minions with a lot more like gusto and drive. Yes, minions. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, All right. Well, is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about or go over before we wrap up? Or is that Barrett has a poem? 
Oh. I have a thousand and two things I'd like to share, but <laughs> I do have two poems. Let's hear it. Okay. One is from Insecticides. <laughs> this is an anthology. <laughs> and yes, Jose Emilio Pacheco wrote a poem about mosquitoes. Ooh. They are born in the swamps of sleeplessness. They are a viscous blackness which wings about. Little frail vampires, miniature dragonflies, small picadors with the devil's own sting. Now, on a a bit more forgiving note, in the Anthology of American Poetry... I've been reading to my five-year-old who laps this stuff up. He's been reading these works by American poets. And I didn't realize that the novelist John Updike also wrote poetry, Mm. including Mosquito. (laughs) On the fine wire of her wine, she walked, unseen in the ominous bedroom dark. A traitor to her camouflage, she talked. A thirsty blue streak distinct as a spark. I was to her a fragrant lake of blood from which she had to sip a drop or die. A reservoir, a lavish field of food. I lay awake, unconscious of my size. We seemed fair-matched opponents. Soft, she dropped down like an anchor on her thread of song. Her nose sank thankfully in. Then I slapped at the sting on my arm, cunning and strong. A cunning, strong gargantua I struck, this lover pinned in the feast of my flesh, lulled by my blood, relaxed, half-sated, stuck, engrossed in the gross rivers of myself. Success! Without a cry, the creature died, became a fleck of fluff upon the sheet. The small welt of remorse subsides as side by side we, murderer and murdered, sleep. (laughs) That's lovely. Love it. Yeah. That's a solid one. And I'm so excited. The first one left me wanting more, which that's not a bad thing. I'm so excited that this is recorded perpetuity so I can listen to you read it to me again <laughs> this is so much better with you narrating it Barrett <laughs> oh, I've discovered so many new favorite poets in here Lyric I'll read you some more great <laughs> I'm so glad we're friends <laughs> as long as I can take your parasitology oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh, well, I think you have a long ways to go before you're ready for uh, doing guided ruminations. But <laughs> insect poetry, no. I, I want no one else to, uh, <laughs> to read to me. You guys were fantastic. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Do you have a lyric? Are you on Twitter or anything? Uh, I am on Twitter as Bartholomew Lab, but also... I'm part of something called the Urban Ecosystems Project at Iowa Ooh. State University, where we do mosquito learning with kids and families, particularly in underserved communities. Um, that that's it's really really fun work. <laughs> so um, so I'd like to plug that one. 
Amazing. And soon my mosquitoes suck book that I was talking about will be out <gasps> that I wrote with colleagues. So I want to purchase copies spring. of that. Mm-hmm. Spring? Spring in 2021. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Um, and Barrett has all sorts of on his website. What is it? BarrettKlein.com? Has like a lot of great. Yeah. No, not Cupating. even close. Oh yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> You know what a pulmonary metabolism a fully metamorphosing insect does? It goes through a pupil stage, pupating, pupating.org. Ah. I have a few recommendations. Okay. A good friend of mine produced or self-published a companion to cosmopolitan slime molds. Oh, beautiful. Beautifully illustrated. Second. Now, this is an odd one. I, I had this as a boy, 1978, but I've rediscovered it. Dr. Bay's Bedside Bug Book. It's one of the strangest illustrated go, books I've ever read <laughs> by Derek Pell. It's a weird one. I want that and one, And then the too. third? Mm-hmm. Third one? This just in. Hubert Duprat, French artist? who presently has a show up in Paris, if you happen to be in Paris, Shane, if you jump from lacrosse to Paris during a pandemic. And he also just produced a work that is exquisite. It's a tour de force. It's his magnum opus, Miroir de Tricoptère, or The Caddisfly's Mirror by Hubert Duprat. It's one of the most beautiful, comprehensive books on a topic I've ever seen. Wow. And I had to purchase it online if you want For information about that. I can pass it $3,000? No, it, was, it looks like... It, it was that's, 50, that's a huge It was 55 book. euros. So it ended up being that's something like, I don't know, 60 bucks. What's 60 the, what do we got there? But about 1,200 it pages? It's so amazing because it's so beautifully illustrated with oh not gosh. just... It's 620, 630 pages or so, Ooh. but it's not only exquisitely illustrated in terms of the insect, this order of odd insects most closely related to moths and butterflies called Trichoptera. Many of the species uh, build cases, protective cases as immatures in water. But it, it touches on cultural entomology throughout. So how do caddisflies play in human life and culture throughout history? It's really brilliant. Can I tell you that I um, I have some caddisflies that are literally near and dear to my heart because there's this phenomenal artist who um, gives caddisflies certain stones, precious stones. While the Stouts, <laughs> Ben and Kathy Stout, right? Yeah, and and so I have caddisfly jewelry where the caddis <laughs> pupa or, or they the got it from Hubert Duprat. Yeah, it's really cool. So Hubert Duprat is the original artist who does that, collaborates with the caddisflies. Oh, it's so cool. That's that's exciting that you have some jewelry from, I, I it. bet. Okay, and then I also Stop. actually want to make a plug for this product. <laughs> so, uh, so as, as um, we're doing some teaching with um, extension teachers and educators around, actually around the globe, on how to teach kids and learn with kids about mosquitoes. And we bought these really cool wide macro lenses. And this thing just clips onto your telephone, to your smartphone, and turns your smartphone into a microscope. Yeah. So, I, really? 
So I've, I've so g- fun. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, those are really nice. I I I had a I had a X uh, that that got one of those for taking pictures, and and she was so fond of it that I uh, bought it as a gift for another lady I was wooing to after the, so after the relationship. So I was just like, yeah, that's, that's a okay, solid. So you need one of these chains so that you can look close. You can look closer at Musca Domestica. <laughs> Actually, for the future, cool. we probably need binoculars when we have more such uh, debate flies. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to uh, yeah get myself get myself some uh, some new equipment. Start teasing out those. Male insect penises, and uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, discover some new species. You know, uh, we can all take part in science. Who knew that an entomologist or two could be so inspiring? <laughs> it really it, it changed my life. Uh, it's a new future, <laughs> Shane. You're already wearing so many hats. It'll be interesting to see how this plays a role in your life <laughs> as an insect genitalia expert. Yeah, I know. I, I, you can I am, come do a degree in my lab. I'm doing so many things. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm into it. I need something to do now that stand-up comedy is no longer a thing. So, uh, Well, you're it. advocating science is, is fantastic. I, I love doing it. You guys are awesome. I hope to have you both on again sometime soon. Lyric, why don't you come back on when your book comes out? That'd be terrific. That's, oh, I would love that. Yeah, thanks. Hit me, hit me up next spring. We'll have a terrific uh, uh, conversation and hear all about it. Um, and send me a copy, too. Yes, I will. For free, both of you. <laughs> All right, awesome. No, Thank you. I, I believe in supporting artist writers. I'd like to purchase copies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Barrett Klein. Thank you, Lyric, uh, uh, Lyric Bartholomew. You guys are both great. Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll see you next episode. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe, leave a nice comment, spread the word, share it with someone, and write a review on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Uh, support me on Patreon. Check out my Discord. We got a nice community uh, going there. I, w- I would love to have more people involved on that. And... Um, if you don't know, Discord's just a, a, a way of building a community, uh, like a better organized social media uh, tool that is just other here we are listeners and, and like-minded people and uh, no trolls. So it's awesome. Um, and you get that with a, a Patreon and you can... Um, you can also check out my show this Saturday, October 17th, as part of the Wisconsin Science Fest live. Here we are podcast. I sure hope to see you all there. Go to shanemoss.com and here we are podcast.com. You guys are awesome. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.